This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, and welcome to our viewing audience. I'm Diane Fugino, and I'm speaking to you from Santa Barbara, the unceded lands and waters of the Chumash people. And I'm delighted to invite Mike Africa Jr., I wish it were in person, but we'll have to settle for the virtual. And Mike, I remember the last time you were here about 18 months ago, right? When we could do this in person. And at that time, you were telling us about the huge things in store for you and for MOVE, including this HBO film. And now it's out. And of course, this follows on the heels of the release from prison of your parents and of all the surviving MOVE uh, political prisoners in the past couple of years, and now the revelation that the Penn Museum and others have been desecrating the bodies of the people, the children killed in the MOVE bombing in 1985. And we'll turn to that in a bit. But first, with MOVE in the nation's eyes, and I think it's really fortuitous to have this film out, right, so that there can be a broader understanding of who MOVE is and what the history of MOVE means to US society and to our understandings of race. So I wanna jump right into the documentary. The filmmaker, Tommy Oliver, opens the film with media broadcasts showing very divergent views of MOVE, right? He relies on this uh, news footage and on courtroom footage on these archives very heavily throughout. And some of this has been shown already in previous documentaries. It was shown in the media at the time and since, but clearly Tommy Oliver has done tremendous research in the archives. And I'm wondering if you can speak to how the filmmaker obtained his footage and also about the political and knowledge-making impacts uh, that this has had. So we can juxtapose, right, the evidentiary footage against the absolute lack of evidence entered into the murder trial, right? What does it mean as a filmmaking strategy to use this footage? And here, the politics of evidence are really compelling. Wow. Well, first, let me say hello to you, Diane, and everyone that worked so hard to put this together. I really am honored to be here, and I think that this is going to be a really great conversation. Um, yeah, you know, Tommy is a research junkie and he dug in, he dug right in. He took a big spoon and he just started figuring out how to dig deeper. And when he thought that he was at the deep, at the, at the deepest depth that he could get to, he started digging even deeper and he talked to people and how to find out more information. And he just kept on going. And um, he had his partner, uh, Keith Giannette, who's also an executive producer on the film, digging and they were living in temple archives and they read all the transcripts and they just they just continued to just find out more and um juxtaposing the the angles and the the, the reports from news footage and from real action real life activities that were going on you know you, you could hear um the lies and the vitriol and the things that really led up to a lot of what happened to our family in, in the early 70s and in the 80s you know a lot, a lot of a lot of papers were sold you know on the blood of move people the more the the more the violent 
the more the um, confrontation was violent, the more papers were sold. So they were trying to, you know, make sure that they could sell papers. And it didn't matter that people were hurt or killed or whatever, they were trying to sell papers. Hmm. Were there things surprising to you about this film? I mean, I know you've seen a lot of the footage. Yeah, you know, I'm a research junkie myself. I mean, I know a lot about MOVE. I, I probably, I mean, I'm a MOVE member, right? But I probably am like a MOVE historian too. Uh, and so to when I see people create films or put together projects and there's film uh, footage in the film that I never saw before, it's usually pretty surprising because I've seen, I've seen it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there was a lot of footage in this film that I never saw before. I never saw my 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 mother arrested. I never saw the footage where she, um, where my sister was taken out of her arms, or where my dad was thrown on the ground and pushed to the ground by the police. I never saw that before. I never knew what it looked like for them to be arrested. I had all these imaginations about what it looked like, but none of it matched up to actually seeing the footage. And, and so to see that was, was surprising. It was, and it was interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really, uh, Oliver, Tommy Oliver really found so much because we see played repeatedly, right? The horrendous beating of Delbert Africa, but right. then to see your own parents. Wow. Yeah. It's powerful. It definitely puts a different, it, it, it puts a, I mean, it's a different set of eyes looking at it at that point. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I've seen, first of all, I've seen the beating of Delbert so many times. And I've seen Delbert so many times. And mm -hmm. to see him healthy and well, and after mm -hmm. the beating even, you know, it, it's horrible, it's gruesome to watch. But I've seen it mm -hmm. 50, 100 times a year for 10 years, right? But to see my mom, and to see the police like grab her two-year-old baby, my little, my sister, mm -hmm. uh, and dangle her that way, it mm -hmm. it was hard to watch, you know, seeing it for the first time. But um, but I'm glad he got it though, you know, because mm -hmm. if I feel what I feel when I see it, other people are going to feel the same way. Right, and it's important also to show what happened to a broader swath of of move, right? Um, and she was pregnant; she yeah. was about to give birth to you. Yeah. And that's another very powerful aspect of this story that you were born inside prison. And I had, I mean, it was just such a powerful moment to see you walk into that cell where she gave birth to you. Yeah. What was that like for you? A friend of, um, a friend of mine, um, he, 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 we were talking about, had you ever been to Holmesburg or um, House of Correction, the prison? And I'm like, nah, I've never been. And they said, well, you know, it's shut down. He told me that they had, uh, they, sh they condemned it. And um, the council, a councilman uh, in the city of Philadelphia, uh, Curtis Jones, I called him and, and he said, I can get you in. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. And he had done some things that, that really kind of, uh, you know, wasn't favorable for the organization. So he wanted to like kind of make amends. And um, so he set it up so that to, I could go into the prison. It, Interestingly enough, he was the councilman who had the prison shut down. And when I told him that I was born in that jail, he felt the need to go ahead and, and, and let us in. So I had been hearing so many stories about that jail all my life. Because see, my family created the MOVE organization. John Africa is the, is the, is the founder of the organization. Well, he's my great uncle, right? And, and my grandmother 
was the one who tailor made all of the jumpsuits that move was wearing on the platform when they were holding the guns mm-hmm. and so half at least half of the organization were my blood family members so when we talked about like the move nine being in prison three of those people are my blood family they remember homes or um the the house of correction before they actually went in for the murder charge they remember it just getting locked up from for demonstrations against the zoo or whatever mm-hmm. so they would tell me these stories as i was growing up i had all these images up uh, in my head about what house of correction looked like when I got in, into that jail, there were very few things that surprised me about the look of it because the images that I had heard over the years and from so many different people and in their vantage points, they painted a picture of, of that prison in my mind that left me recognizing it when I saw it. And it mm-hmm. felt like, like nostalgic almost, like I've been here before. Mm-hmm. Aside from the time that I was born, I was only in, only in there for <laughs> few hours or a day or whatever but it was something that was so familiar to me when I got in there and um it was a heck of an experience I'll tell you what I I've never been inside of a, a jail before other than when I was born I've never been inside of uh, a, of a cell where the doors are closed mm-hmm. and you're in this thing and to actually realize that this is where my mother lived for years it was a lot right it was very, very emotionally draining to know that, to know that my dad was in there for years and other MOVE members and so many other people, because this is not just a MOVE issue. There's a lot of people that experienced that, those types of injustices and were inside of those cages for no reason. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and, and it showed that the two bed frames side by side with very little space between them. It looked like a two person cell that they're living in day in and day out. I mean, these are the horrors of prison, right? And I've been inside as a visitor, but to be inside a cell is a completely different experience. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. and when you're inside of a prison visiting room, you know, they have paintings on the wall. They they, they, They have vending machines, they have comfortable chairs. They're trying to kind of put their best foot forward, but you don't see the rusted cell bars. You don't see the paint peeling on the walls. You don't see the blood stains from the inmates that have been beaten by by guards still on the floor. There's a there's a situation. My dad told me about a person that he knew in in the jail that was attacked by another inmate, and he somehow got gas or some kind of accelerant fire accelerant inside of his cell and the 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 man that was burned squeezed through the bars and jumped off of the second tier of the jail platform and he landed on the floor and there was a burn a stain um of his of his body on the ground my dad said that happened 20 something years ago he said when he left that jail just just this past 2018, he said that stain was still there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that you see in the jail visiting room that you will never see, like the cell inside that they mm-hmm. live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a powerful story of the bodies left behind, right? And I'm so glad your parents 
were able to get out. And of course, that didn't just happen, but you worked your entire life and you had an organization moving, working alongside you move and a political prisoner movement alongside you, right? Can you share with us some of what that was like to have to struggle? And also this film, it's interesting, right? Because you and Tommy Oliver starts it not knowing what would happen to your parents and that by the time the film ends, all of the remaining MOVE survivors would be released from prison. Yeah, it was a very magical experience. When Tommy first came to me, the, well, let me back up. When Ramona introduced the idea of this person named Tommy Oliver, who was going to make a film about MOVE, the first thing that came to my mind was another one of those, huh? I wasn't impressed. There's so many people that came and said they wanted to make a film about move and they were going to be unbiased. And we just, I, I'd never seen anything to really substantiate that claim, really. A couple of documentaries that had been made were okay, but movies were different. So Ramona met with them and she said, after the meeting, she said, you, you said, Michael, she said, you'd like him. And I said, yeah, why? So we set up another meeting and then I meet him. And he's like, he's looking at us. He's, you know, we, we start talking and he's like, yeah, I'm Tommy. I'm from Philly and this, that, and the other. We, we're talking and we're, we're around the same age, two black guys from Philly, both had these amazingly traumatizing childhoods mm-hmm. and we're just talking. And before I knew it, it was like Ramona wasn't there anymore because we just, we just kind of like hit it off. We were just talking about regular stuff, but the vibration and the energy between us, just like we became friends pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. And so he was, we, it wasn't really about trying to like, it wasn't really about trying to make sure that we film this thing perfectly so that when the people come home, they're ready for their ending part to be shown. Once he got to know me, the, the, the quest became using the film to help get them out of prison. But the work that we had done the momentum had built up so much. Larry Krasner had become the district attorney and he lended his support. And so many other people had come and stepped up. And I just, I, I went on a rampage. Like I, I, I started talking to people who, who we had talked to before, trying to get their support from state representatives to council members, to, to anybody who wanted to talk about this, Uh, freedom for the move nine I was trying to talk to and a whole lot of people that did not want to talk I was talking to them too you know knocking on doors I traveled around the entire entire world right I I got over 500 signatures from how many continents are there seven six other continents I didn't go to Antarctica (laughs) I didn't go to Antarctica but I went to every other continent Mm -hmm. to get signatures for the move nine to show how much support. So when the parole board um, um, p- came in to say you were a danger to commute to the community, I had over 500 signatures to say they are welcome wherever I am. And so there was a lot, a lot of work that went into making sure that they got home. And um, I was willing to do whatever it took. And, um, and yeah, we we got that victory. There is this really touching scene in the documentary, right? 40 Years a Prisoner, where your dad is talking and he's been released, right? You know where I'm going. And he oh, yeah. he's tearing up 
And he talks about, he is so grateful to have you no longer having to carry the burden of working for their release. Um, and I, I remember thinking that the film was named after the, the prisoners who got out, right? 40 years a prisoner. But right. then Tommy Oliver says, no, that film is in reference to you, right. Mike Africa Jr. Yeah, um, you know, I guess in a way, I didn't see it that way, personally. I was trying to get them out of prison. And 40 years of prisoner to me, I didn't feel like a prisoner. I guess I guess in a way I was though, right? Because I was a prisoner to the idea that they, they may never come home. You know, when Phil passed away in 2015, that was the thing that kind of like lit the fire for me. Because I didn't, I knew I was very close to Phil. I knew him well. And I didn't want him to die in prison. Uh, and I didn't want my dad to die in prison. And I didn't want Janet or Janine or, or any of the other people to die in prison. So at that point, it was just like, all right, we got to do whatever we got to do. Move, move. Some of the organization members had a, a strict policy to not work with lawyers. I just ignored that and said, no, nah, I, I don't care what it take. You know, we, we got to do what we got to do. And I ruffled some feathers, I'm sure. But, you know, seeing my dad come out of prison on his own free will and walk out of those prisons and not be pulled out or pushed out or wheeled out on a gurney, you know, that's that's what I was doing it for, to make sure that they got out of there and got a chance to smell some free air, got a chance to drink some free water, got a chance to get some hugs from their kids and and, and grandkids and great grandkids, right? Get a chance to eat what you want without having to be told what you can and cannot eat. They got so many freedoms now, you know, they can talk unlimited to their kids and not have to worry about being cut off because the operator said 15 minutes is all you get. This was about much more about freeing them from the restrictions they had than it was about freeing them from a jail cell. Mm -hmm. And how are they doing? How are your parents doing? I mean, you know, on one hand we can say, great, I saw in the film the kind of love and laughter in your family. I feel it every time I'm with you or Sister Ramona, like so much love extended beyond your family as well. And I also know from folks who've gotten out that it's the transition's not an easy one either. For sure. You know that. I've seen over 20 move people come out of prison. Mm. And I knew what to expect when my parents got out. They all go through this transition where they're extremely happy at first. Then they kind of get a little confused. And then there's this, this depression that kind of sets in. And, and that's because, you know, even though they knew that while they were in prison, their mother died there's still a part of them that comes home looking for her. Yeah. Because when they went to prison, she was there. And even though you mm -hmm. know certain things, mentally, your body has muscle memory. It has this thing that connects you, this familiarity that connects you to people. So just because mentally you know that they're not there, your body, your mind is still looking for them and longing for them. So when you realize that, you know, two of your brothers or four of your sisters are gone and your mother and your father's gone, 
40 years is a long time to do anything mm -hmm. and to do it and to come home with so much loss, you feel that. And, and they did. Um, they've gotten over that though. Fortunately, we have, a, they have a really good support system. And um, listen, my mom, so my mom, I wrote this song called Fly Baby because when my mom came home from prison, she was like, honey, you don't have to do, don't have to worry about me no more. You don't, you put your life on hold for me now that I'm home. I want you to be free and I want you to be fr free like a bird and I want you to fly, baby. And I was like, yeah, that's a good song. So I wrote a song called Fly Baby. And then, and then, but the song ain't really about me being free. The song is about her being free. You know, it's kind of like mm -hmm. the twist for 40 years of prisoner. It's It's more about her, like, Mom, you can do whatever you want. I asked my mom, I say, Mom, now that you're home, you can do whatever you want. What do you want to do? She said, I'm just happy to be home. I said, yeah, that's it. She said, I'm just happy to be home. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I, I went to my dad. I say, Dad, now that you're free, you can do whatever you want. What do you want to do? He looked at me in these, those gazing eyes and he said, Mike, he said, you know what I want to do? He said, I want to marry your mom. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I want to marry your mom like I should have done 40 years ago. And I don't want to wait. I said, yeah. I said, dad, you can do anything in the world and you want to marry mom? He said, yeah, and I don't want to wait. Mm -hmm. So we hooked it up and we got this church and we got 300 of their closest family and friends and we brought them all in and we made this 11, this, this three, three or four tier wedding cake, me and my mom and my wife stayed up it took us 11 hours to make this wedding cake because my mom is really frugal she don't like to buy stuff <laughs> so so we made this cake but the experience was great and 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 they got married and 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 it was just really really magical my dad said that was the best day of his life by far and so the question how are they doing they are doing great they're doing just fantastic that is such a beautiful story and this is the love that comes out of your family. And I want to ask you, because I just feel like there's trauma after trauma that happens to move, that happens to Black people in this country. Um, but there's also something else that you, that move has, right? And people keep talking about self-care in the context of collective care. And I'm wondering, I mean, I think you're speaking to what some of this is, right? The joys of cooking together, of being together, of having a family, of having a community. Um, is there more that you would like to speak to on kind of? Well, you know, I don't know where it comes from necessarily for me, but I've just always had a deep sense of love and respect for my family and a, a really strong admiration for, for who they are. When people go through a lot of things like what we've gone through, the respect and admiration doesn't start and stop with people that look at, look at them from a distance. It's also internally too. Like when I know that Ramona Africa survived a bomb, my love and admiration for her strength and her willingness to continue and press on even beyond that. I know she was scared. I know she was hurt. I've seen the barn marks on her legs and on her arms to prove the hurt that she experienced. And she saw those people get murdered. But yet she continues to go on. And that for me is so powerful and so courageous. And I admire it. My family are like superheroes to me. You know, forget Superman, Batman, who's that? 
Let's talk about, let's talk about my dad. Let's talk. My dad, do you know my dad is a multi-sport uh, athlete? Won every single sport he played in first place, just having fun, running 26 mile marathon runs in a couple of hours, you know, softball, basketball, but track and boxing. And, and he was just, he, 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 he ran for, uh, for president in the prison, uh, inmate presidency <laughs> in the prison. Right. And he won uncontested, like he's a Villanova graduate. My dad is amazing. Oh. He's a, superhero to me. So, um, and my mom, my mom's a caretaker. She's a caregiver. She's a gardener. She talks to me. If I'm planting something too deep, she Michael, don't do that. Like that. You did, you know, the finger waving and all of that, trying to make sure that I do it the right way. And, and for me, like all of the things that they've experienced and they're still smiling and they're still hugging. I asked my dad, dad, what, what's your, what's the highlight of your day? He said, man, your daughter gave me a big hug and she said, quinoa. And I say, what? That's all I needed, Mike. Cause you're, you, you know, she, she teases me. She mocks me about the way I say quinoa. So she said that to me today, quinoa. And that is what made him smile. Like, isn't that so amazing? You know? So that's, that's, I don't know that my dad always talked to me about my mom and how he loved her. And, you know, I've patterned myself in my life and my relationship with my wife after the example that I've seen him demonstrate. And that's, that's mostly, you know, where I get my, um, my influence from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see the beauty and the love and the lightness. This just the enjoyment of everyday activities among you and your parents and sister Ramona. Um, I think that this is such a juxtaposition to how the move is framed, how move is framed, right? We saw it at the beginning of 40 Years a Prisoner and all this negative vilification of move. And I remember when Ramona Africa was coming to UCSB, she came in, I looked it up, she came in 1999 and it was Asian, this Asian women's group that I was working with and the Mumia, Free Mumia Coalition that brought her in 99. And the next year she came in um, for this student-led Communities Against Capitalist Globalization Conference that was really powerful. And it was at that time that I first met you, right, Mike? Um, and at that time, Asians started to read. We read 25 Years on a Move. And uh, well, I guess I'm going to show it because <laughs> I pulled it out and found this, right? So we read this. And this is more a history of the 70s and the 1985 bombing and, and the Move 9. But we also read other materials that looked at the philosophy of Move. And I think that kind of information about who Move is, right, what they believe in, um, the connections to Mother Earth, the connections to life, all forms of life, right? Human and non-human, um, Black liberation, race liberation. I mean, these ideas resonate so much with what's happening today. And in some ways, I think the world is more ready. I think in many ways, MOVE was ahead of its time. And I, I'm wondering what you want to share about MOVE's philosophy so that people can understand more about, right, not just the vilification of MOVE or that really derogatory term that keeps getting associated right a cult but right. there's something else that's here very much yeah you know the truth is that having the belief of life right it's dangerous 
Move's mission is to protect life. It's really, really simple. People, animals, and the environment. But as simple as it sounds and as simple as it is, it is not a favorable belief system to have when you're living under a government that is profiting off of the exploitation of those things. You know, like the Philadelphia Zoo, particularly in, in you know, the, the things that they're doing to these animals and how they're capturing them and, and, the, and the Barnum and Bailey Ringling Brothers Circus, right? They make a lot of money off of the treatment of animals that they force them to balance on balls and uh, 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 honk seal horns or horns from the seal. Like they make a lot of money forcing tigers to jump through rings of fire. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about life, and the importance of protecting it and exposing that this tiger doesn't want to jump through rings of fire. What must you do to a tiger to get them to jump through a ring of fire? And so just having that belief, it, it really exposes just how life, like uh, uh, robbing the life out of, of animals and stealing these animals is the same way that they stole Africans and put us in chains and made us work and beat us and enslaved us and killed us. And you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. if you're talking about freedom for life and you're talking about the importance of the climate and air control, air quality and all of that, but you got this bis big businessman who wants to build this nuclear power plant, right? And he doesn't care that the people that drink from the stream nearby are going to get cancer. He doesn't care that, mm -hmm. that you're going to end up with some kind of uh, infection in your lungs or that children are going to be born with deformities or, you know, mm -hmm. or not born at all in some cases. So having the belief is simple. It is simple to recognize that an animal was hit by a car and you put it in the back of your pickup truck and take it to the park so that it could have a, pos a, a safe burial, the same type of burial that you would want to give your family member. Right. That's simple. But when you start talking about activating that idea and stopping the industries that pollute and that kill life, mm -hmm. you will get the police at your door. They will come with tear gas. They will come with bullets. They will come with the bomb. They will come with jail cells. They will come with judges that are going to give you unjust jail sentences. And um, and we've, we're seeing that with people all across the world. Right. You got these people that, that these police that are shooting black people down in the streets. And rather than give the justice that they would expect to get to get if a black man shot a police officer down. No, the police officer are going home and they're not being charged with anything in many cases. And George Floyd, that situation was an anomaly. Many cases, most cases, police are, char are not charged at all. They're given qualified immunity. In fact, when the government dropped the bomb on our house in 1985, the city of Philadelphia, all of the people that were involved, they were granted immunity and none of them were punished for anything they did to our family. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's time and time again. I mean, I, 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 I just can't stop being outraged about what happened to bomb in 1985. The U.S. government and the police, right? I mean, the, the Philadelphia government and the police authorized a military-style bomb to be dropped on your residence, 
And then the police literally prevented the fire trucks from entering the neighborhood. And as a result, 60 houses burned. Right. I mean, this is unconscionable, right? In 1978, what we see in the film, and there's evidence pointing to this, right? That move did not kill anybody. And yet the, 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 the judge with no evidence to at all, but then certainly not linked to any one person said, well, if they all want to live together, then we will just convict them all together. I mean, these things happen over and over. And I'm reminded of Raul Peck's new film series, right? Also on HBO, right? Exterminate All Brutes. Um, and, and, and this is what he's talking about, and I, uh, the extermination of people, the extermination of Black people, the extermination of Indigenous people. And I think what MOVE was trying to do is the antidote, support for life. I mean, it seems relatively simple, but yet I think MOVE did it in a way that reminds me of groups like the Panthers. I think that the philosophy of the two groups had differences, but the, 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 the ferocious independence and self-determination, right? Not being willing to be accommodationist, right? Their refusal to go along. We know that this marks people, right? And this marks black people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and when, you, when you understand how bad the system is and the danger in it, mm -hmm. the, sometimes the reaction that you may have is uncontrollable because you're compelled to react. It's, it's, imagine a hot coal from a grill landing on your hand. You may not attempt, you may not intentionally fling it, but the reaction that you're gonna get is so, it's painful, it, the, 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 the coal is hot, so it's, it's painful. So you naturally react in a way that you may not have anticipated. When you recognize how dangerous the system is, it brings out those type of reactions. People mm -hmm. gasp with fear. They react. They want to fight. I mean, you've got the vice president of the United States saying that America is not a racist country. And I don't even believe this is a situation where she's living in an ivory tower. No, this is a situation where she's downright lying. Mm -hmm. And Tim, whatever his name is, the senator, he's lying too. It is no way possible that they can believe that in America in 2021, where over 1,100 people, Black people, are killed by police every year, mm -hmm. that America is not a racist country. And the laws that, that are in place that are uh, protecting the white police officers that are killing these Black people, you know, how is this not a racist country? But they, they know this. They know this better than I know this but they're lying. And so uh, it's, it's, it's disheartening. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. And even though they know they're lying, they don't care what we think about it. So sometimes the revolutionary that understands this is, 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 um, is infuriated. And that is what drives the action sometimes mm -hmm. because of just how infuriating it is. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a sea change that we're seeing in this moment. Part of it's the environment, right? And that young people are demanding change because they want to have a future. I mean, just literally have a future, right? The, the, the killings of black and brown and other people just by police everywhere. So yesterday was the day of refusal, right? It kicks off nationwide across some 60 campuses. 
um, abolition may. And here at the University of California, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there were proposed changes by the system-wide administration to policing policies that includes things like allowing um, you know, weapons. They, they want um, retired police officers to be able to carry concealed weapons. They want to be able to use more force. Um, they, they want to be able to use chemical weapons and other kinds of weapons at the UC, right. And so this was coming through in a way that they sent an email to people, but most people never saw it, you know, it's kind of that bureaucratic language in the subject line. Right. And just right now, uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, there's been, well, there's been organizing around abolition for much longer. But in the recent period, on many of the UC campuses, there's been a lot of organizing. And as I said, yesterday was a day of refusal, and we're going to continue on for the whole abolition May. But what I want to ask is, right, I, I feel like move, we need to know moves history. We need to understand what would change, right, if MOVE was placed in this kind of history. And that I, MOVE engages with these two paths of abolition, right? These are discussed by Angela Davis, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Miriam Kaba, and critical resistance since the late 90s. So the first one is this call that's gaining growing, that's gaining support, right, for abolition or defunding the police, recognizing the police's origins and slave patrols, and that, you know, if they can do the things that they've done to move, I mean, then this is not ex not entirely exceptional, right? right. Um, and, and, but the second thing is about what's called positive, right, abolition, which is this need to build alternative institutions, right, that provide nutrient-dense, locally grown foods, jobs, right, with liv livable wages and dignity, housing, mental health care, health care, so, uh, connections to nature and beauty, so much of this. And so I'm curious what you think about the ways that the ideas around abolitionism are really taking hold today you know, and, and what you think this means for possibilities for really transformative change, systems change in the future. Yeah, I, I think that is great. I think that, it, you know, for the people that are saying defund the police, uh, and there's other people that are saying abolish the police, and some of those ideas don't necessarily align, but I think the commonality within those, in both of those statements is reroute some of the money or all of the money from the police budgets and to communities. We know through data and research that communities that are impoverished and they have less resources, they're more susceptible, susceptible to violent crime and, you know, and all of this. So, so, and the issue is not, and the solution is not to add more police. We have more police now than we've ever had before, but we still got killings from police and violence in the cities, right? Um, it is not to give the police, the solution is not to give the police chemical weapons. It is not to give the police this military style behavioral change and allow them to just run roughshod over people and beat them. Beating people is not even, is that even acceptable? Can you even spank your child anymore? Like, how do you, how is it that we cannot spank our children, but you can allow the police to carry more weapons? They carry 50, 30 and 50 pounds of weapons. And, and like, it's just ridiculous. When I was in school, and this is going back. All right, so let me tell my age. 
when I was in school, we had this saying in West Philly. It was, if you can't get along, get a fair one going. And we used to get in trouble for fighting, right? But at the end of the fight, nobody died. It was just a fist fight. And usually at the end of the fist fight, you shook hands, you walked away, and then you told the, the other brother that you were fighting, hey, I'll, see you over, I'll see you at school tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much the end of it. Some feuds lasted longer than that, maybe 20 minutes instead of, instead of 10. But for the most part, they ended. You <laughs> saw each other around the neighborhood, and that was the end of it, right? And, you know, with, with these weapons and these guns, the yeah. police are carrying tasers and flapjacks and handcuffs right. and flashlights and guns and all this weaponry and bulletproof vests. And then they got all these partners that are also carrying the same things and they're using their cars as weapons. I think it is totally ridiculous for anybody to think that that is exactly what we need in our communities. And I also think it's ridiculous that anybody that is black or anybody that is white to accept that in their communities because that is not the solution to the problems that we have in our communities. And there's a commercial where a monkey was in a cage and he had a a, a suitcase and he was banging a suitcase around in the cage and he was going crazy and he didn't want to be in a cage, whatever. And then they showed that same monkey later on with a Samsonite suitcase, right? And then, then they showed the monkey, he was laid back. He had a smoker jacket. He had a cigar in his, in his hand and he was laid back. And the theme of the commercial was if you give people something good to make them feel dignified, they'll behave. But if you take everything away from them and leave them with nothing, they will act out. And that's what the police station's budget has done. They've taken the community resources. They've taken the education. They've taken the mm-hmm. The schools are closing down. The music programs are being are, are getting erased and the budgets are not allowing them to have the, 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 the wood shop and the metal shop and the job training and the licensing and permits for driving a car and everything. The sports programs, everything is leaving. And now you expect for people to do something other than what? You know, so right. take away those be- to police budgets and reroute that mm-hmm. to the community. We'll get justice. We'll get we'll get peace. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. If they don't, if they got people committing crime, they got prisons and they make a lot of money off these prisons. So they, you know, it's, it's all part of their plan and a part of their scheme. And we shouldn't fall for it. We shouldn't accept it. Right. Absolutely. At this time of COVID, right, we have the vaccine companies making billions and billions and not sharing their vaccines around the world. And there's global inequity. I mean, it is just... We need to take the profits out of all of this and put life first, as you're talking about. There you go. Yeah. I want to talk about Mumia. Okay. And, and, and I guess I want to connect it to this horrendous thing that happened. And I think you might not want to spend too much. I don't know. I, I want to be sensitive, right? This, this thing with the University of Pennsylvania, what happened with the desecration of the bodies of one or two moved children. Like this is very personal to you and it's a re-traumatization. But what I want to say is that while the institutions apologized, your move is asking for restitution, right? And I heard the student organizers asking for release of Mumia Abu-Jamal, right? Mumia, the former Black Panther, the incredible journalist, right? Who 
is ill, who had heart surgery a week ago. And I'm wondering if you can speak to what MOVE is asking for. And also, well, I guess I'm asking two questions because, or is it connected to, to Mumia, right? Like what, what, you know, you've had this incredible strategy. Um, and what about Mumia Bujamal? And even though the evidence points otherwise, you know, yeah. it seems so hard for him to get another trial or to get released. Yeah, justice is, uh, has been eluding Mumia for a long time. Um, you know, there was a reconciliation specialist who tried to get moved to apologize for the actions that move took in the eighties. And my dad came up with this slogan where he says, apology without action is meaningless. You want us to apologize for something that we didn't do, but these, these uh, city governments, they need, they apology isn't, it, without action, like they could apologize, but without them actually putting any action behind the apology, what does it even mean? People say, I'm sorry all the time. But if there's no way to demonstrate that feeling, if there's no restitution, if there's no, no nothing behind it, then it, it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And so um, Penn University, who has basically stolen the, some of the remains of some of the moved children from the bombing, they have apologized. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean? Mm -hmm. They drove around with remains of our move sisters, 14-year-old Tree and 12-year-old Delicia, for 36 years, teaching online courses to over, to, uh, uh, since 2000, I believe, 16, taught this online course to over 5,000 students, holding up our sister's bones and talking about how she probably died during a collapse or the bones are still juicy or fresh and new and they doesn't smell bad, all this. Mm -hmm. so, and so we, you know, we know that they killed our family. And what has been said is you can't bring our family back, but you can do what you can to help us be as whole as we can possibly be and help us free the last man standing from our family. And that person is Mumia Abu-Jamal. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot online about Mumia. Oh yeah. If you want to find out more information about Mumia, you can go to www.freemumia.com. You can go to www.mobilization, the number four, Mumia, and learn about Mumia's case. Um, it's obviously an innocent man, um, railroaded and put on death row, and we beat the death row charge, but now he's, he's facing life in prison. Very recently, he just had um, heart surgery, and he's surviving right now, but, you know, he's 67 years old, and um, I'm working hard as I can with along with all the other people who are working hard or harder um, mm -hmm. to free him, to get him out of there so that just like my dad walked out of prison, Mumia mm -hmm. can walk out too. Mm -hmm. And there are so many others. There's actually a question from David Pello, who's saying hello. David. And who's, <laughs> and okay. who's also 
asking about what we can do to free political prisoners because it is Mumia, but it's also Mutulu Shakur and Russell Marone Schultz and um, Sundiata Akoli and just so many yeah, right, a- who are all aging. Yeah. And, and so I don't know if you have thoughts because the ways that I see this is that the Puerto Ricans have had more success in gaining release of the Puerto Rican political prisoners in part because there's a community in support of them. And the move has had more success, right? Um, You guys have generated this, but for many of the political prisoners remaining in prison for over 50 years, right? And former Panther Chip Fitzgerald just died recently. Like it is time and and, and when, what what can we do? What needs to be done? I mean, I don't think you have the answers alone because the movement's working very hard. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people have a lot of different strategies for how they want to approach getting their people out of prison. MOVE had a specific strategy because the our people were up for parole. And that's different than Amumia Abu-Jamal, who's not even eligible for parole. And that's different from a Jojo Bowen who doesn't have, you know, he Mumia has life in prison. Jojo has double life. And Russell Maroon has double life, right? So there's different strategies and people should get in touch with the families of the political prisoners that they want to support because there are certain strategies they want to use. And to, to some people, one strategy might be harmful if you would try to apply that to the same, to another person. So it's very, mm-hmm. very different. Um, I, I agree. The Puerto Rican um, community has had a lot of success with their prisoners and, um, and they've been very, very supportive of not, of information and, and, and helping us um, uh, understand this too. And we've been just as supportive on the other side too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. But get in touch with the families. You have a new book coming out, and it's come. It's called Fifty Years on a Move," and it's coming out on May thirteenth, right? The anniversary of the move bombing in nineteen eighty-five. A really important date. I, I had said earlier we read twenty-five years on a move. Can you tell me about fifty years on a move? Yeah. So there's two projects that I that I have that are coming out this week. The wow. first one. The first one is actually Mother's Day. So the song that I told you about, Fly Baby, that I wrote for my mom, we did a music video for it. And that actually comes out on Mother's Day. Uh, you look out for that. Follow me on my Instagram and, you know, at Mike Africa Jr. You'll see it on my, you know, on the pages. And uh, I did, a, a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a hip hop song and it's a featured singer by the name of Suzanne Christine. She has a bird-like voice. It's, it's amazing. Mm. Um, so that's coming out on Mother's Day. But the, and the other one, yeah, you refer to 50 Years on the Move. And it's just, it's the 50, it's a 72 page summary of the history of the Move organization. It's an updated and revised version of the 25 Years on the Move copy that you have. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes through from the inception with the start from John Africa all the way up to um, up to now and, and, and the people getting released from prison after 40 years and the fight for Mumia that continues on. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And where can people purchase that as yeah. well as sign the petition That's right. Right, for um, the museum and the University of Penn and um, Princeton? Mm-hmm. That's right. So we have, 
a list of demands for pen for um, that we're calling for for restitution for what they've done to our our people. And um, we have a, a petition that we want people to sign in support of those demands. And um, the book, 50 Years on the Move, uh, sells for $15.95, $20, like a total of 20 bucks with tax, with, um, what is it called? Shipping and handling. Um, yeah, you can go to my website, www.mikeafricajr.com, and you can find both of those items. You can sign the petition and you can go ahead and, and purchase that book too. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to get that. Um, there was a question about why the 40 years a prisoner didn't show the 1985 bombing. I mean, I, I could see that it was focused on 1978, but there'll be more there. And I want to say that there are two great documentaries that people, well, I think they're great, that people can um, watch on that, right? The bombing of West Philly and Let the Fire Burn if people want to know about more about the 85 bombings. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about the bombing, I asked Tommy Oliver, why didn't you put that in there? I mean, that's the most popular thing that people know about the MOVE organization, and it's the most egregious act against us from the government. Why didn't you include it? He said, it's a two-hour film. And the story was more about my quest to show people the work that it takes to free these people from prison. And he said he could not, uh, he, his explanation was he could not put uh, May 13th in there without doing the, it the justice that it deserved. So right. rather than do it in a way where it wasn't right, he decided not to do it at all. Mm -hmm. I think it makes sense because there's also more on that bombing and people can go read about it. There's also, attention move this is america you know so there there's there's other things that people can get on that so i think that that was right i think we're out of time i want to say <laughs> oh, okay i was just getting warmed up oh <laughs> i wish we could keep going uh we were gonna have to bring you to santa barbara in person um when when the pandemic's over, I, my mother and my father have never been to Santa Barbara. I would love to bring them. We got to do it. We got to make it happen as soon as this is over. Let's do it. This would be wonderful. Um, but thank you so much. Um, congratulations on 40 years a prisoner on the incredible work to gain the release of the move nine. Um, much joy and love to your family and to your parents and to all of uh, move and the Africa family and um, on a move much much work to be done thank you thank Diane. you Mike thank you all hey oh I'm, I'm sorry I forgot to yes, tell please. you guys one thing so I did this special Mother's Day podcast episode on my show on the move with Mike Africa Jr listen to this episode my wife and my mom teamed up on me a little bit and, you know but it was a really good episode check out my podcast on the move with Mike Africa Jr I know what I'm doing on Mother's Day, and these will be two gifts to me, your podcast and your new song. So thank you so much, you Brother go. Mike. This was wonderful. Really appreciate this. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you all for putting this together. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.